Well, good morning. It is always a privilege to be with you and spend time together in the Word, together uh, as we all kind of come to God's Word as servants, as students, as those who need to hear from Him. And uh, it's always a pleasure to be able to do that together. It's uh, been many years that we've been doing this, and so it's uh, always whoops, it's always a joy. I'm going to put this on this side. There we go. Uh, it's always a, a joy to be together. I want to talk a little bit uh, this morning in our study uh, about the idea of prayer. I was kind of thinking in light of, Jim, uh, your prayer and uh, how important that is here in this class, how we respond when we have events going on uh, on the other side of the world that are hard for us to be directly active in, yet we're called to pray, and we do pray, and we serve, and we give, and uh, Jesus has much, much instruction about prayer. It's interesting, Jesus' disciples ask him a lot of questions through his, mem- uh, through his ministry. Primarily the question is, uh, what on earth were you talking about, right? That's, they struggle to understand his parables and so on. But the only question that we, a- that we have recorded in Scripture that the disciples actually ask Jesus to do for them is, Lord, recorded in Luke chapter 11, teach us to pray. They don't ask him to teach us to preach or teach us those cool moves you do when you confront the Pharisees or teach us how to craft, excuse me, teach us how to craft a a parable that's effective in communicating. That's not ever asked. It's it's teach us to pray, which, of course, marks Jesus' ministry. And... um, And so I thought it would be worth our time to spend a little bit of time uh, in God's Word. If you have your Bibles, uh, make your way to Matthew chapter uh, 6. Matthew chapter 6. Some context will be important here, and uh, we'll get into uh, what Jesus is teaching about prayer and then think through a little bit of uh, how that uh, uh, helps us, uh, how that uh, applies, and and, and some of the the structure that we can either learn or be reminded of through... uh, many of these words which are uh, familiar to many people. Uh, Matthew chapter 6. So two things, we've got to talk a little bit about Matthew and then this sort of unique part of Matthew. Matthew 5, 6, and 7 really is this early sermon in Jesus' uh, ministry years. You'll remember he's uh, born in Bethlehem and primarily raised up in Nazareth. And and, and much of his raising and growing up, we know absolutely nothing. We we know of a trip uh, down to Jerusalem at age 12 when he stays back and his parents start to head home and they realize they don't have him. They go back to find him in the temple, and other than that, we really don't we don't know anything about his his upbringing. He's up, brought up by Joseph and Mary. Ultimately, uh, they'll have uh, he will have siblings, and uh, we learn a little bit about that. But once his ministry starts, th- this is kind of the way he's going to lay out sort of who I am and what I'm doing, and and he does it through a sermon, and we know this sermon as the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, there, there's two parts to. This one is is Jesus' presentation of the sermon, and then one is Matthew's goal in recording this for us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Matthew has a a message in and of itself, and and this message of Jesus, or or Matthew wants to highlight, maybe this is the best way to say it, Matthew wants to highlight some particular parts of Jesus' ministry uh, in his writing, and it very much goes hand in hand with the Sermon on the Mount. And, and, And the 
Sermon on the Mount, it's probably familiar to you, but but it's really, I want to show you, Jesus is saying, I want to show you what the kingdom of God looks like. Uh, These Jews were living, he's preaching up north in Galilee, which was uh, sort of no man's land and no one cared about it. It wasn't considered important in Israel. Jerusalem's important. And then places like uh, around the Sea of Galilee were thought to be, you know, sort of the backwoods or the backwaters that really didn't matter. And yet it's with these people, these people from the northern region who gathered together that Jesus wants to preach to. And, And he wants to share with them what the kingdom of God looks like, which really is sort of completely backwards and upside down and opposite of how they lived. Uh, They lived under Roman occupation. They would love to get rid of that. They didn't like that at all. Uh, They, a lot of them were subsistence. They made made just enough to get through the day and and, and then the next day had to make enough to uh, get through the next day. And and, and so uh, Jesus has this message of this isn't the way it was meant to be. You know, he, he says, blessed at the very beginning, blessed are the poor in spirit. And they're all thinking, no, they're not. They're not, they're not blessed. That's not who's blessed, not the poor in spirit. Uh, the rich in spirit are blessed. Or blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And the people would naturally think, no, no, blessed are those who do bad things and get away with it. Right? I mean, that's how, you, that's how you move up in society. If you can, if you can sneak into something or sneak through something, uh, that, that's how you get blessed. And Jesus is presenting this kingdom of God, this kingdom is that, that I'm bringing, Jesus is saying. He's presenting this kingdom of God that's, that's so different from the way um, uh, that they think. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, or blessed are those who, who mourn. Th- these, these are not things that were traditionally blessed. Blessed are the rich, blessed are the strong, blessed are the powerful, right? Same in any culture, same in any generation. Rich, strong, powerful. Those are, those are what we really want to be. And Jesus goes, no, that's, that's not how the kingdom of God works. And so <clears throat> Matthew has a mission to kind of show Jesus' ministry in light of the coming or the unfolding of the kingdom of God. Furthermore, the Sermon on the Mount is this first presentation early in Jesus' ministry when many of the people there would have been, hey, isn't this Joseph and Mary's kid? I mean, I thought he was, uh, you know, a craftsman, a carpenter of some sort, a, a stonemason, and now he's, you know, how did he learn how to preach like this, right? So, so this is presenting Jesus' sort of overall uh, message, this long message, Matthew 5, uh, 6, 7, um, and, and he's really presenting what the kingdom of God looks like, and, and I just want to sort of bring up that it's all surprising. Like, they're surprised at how it looks. It looks different than, than what they thought, you know, right was right and wrong was wrong in in the way their culture saw it. And and so Matthew has this overarching theme of kingdom, and Jesus is presenting the kingdom, and in the midst of that, we get uh, an invitation to learn a little bit more about prayer. And so I want to understand the prayer that we're going to look at in light of the purpose of the Sermon on the Mount, and furthermore, Matthew's purpose in recording his gospel, all written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But now that I see we won't have enough time, let's close in prayer. No, 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 we'll, we'll, we'll be fine. We'll be fine. I just realized as I was thinking there, that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty aggressive. So anyway, Matthew, Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. 
Um, and just so you know, these early parts have nothing to do with what we're talking about, but they are important. So uh, Jesus says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Okay, why would Jesus say that? Because people practice their righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Right? That's what you do. You, you come up and you look righteous. You look holy. That was, that was part of the culture is you wanted to show off your holiness. And then Jesus says, don't do that. He begins with that. Don't do that righteousness. That's not righteousness. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, presumably because some gave it to the needy, by announcing with trumpets, right? I mean, don't do that. Of course, giving in the temple worked a little bit different. It was a very public act, and so there were trumpets involved and so on. But, but all, that today is, all that to say is Jesus is trying to present a, a different way of thinking about it, a, a kingdom mindset, if you will. Um, so when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on excuse me, and on the streets to be honored uh, by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. In other words, this isn't about showing off. This isn't about making public spectacle. Holiness is not an image to project. Right? And, and so when it comes to giving, it's not like, well, look at how much I'm giving and look at how I do it and look at how sacrificial that is and so on. That's not what, that's not what the kingdom of God is about. And I read all that because we're going to get to the prayer and basically prayer is same thing. That, that, that's the whole message on prayer is don't do prayer that way. Don't do giving that way. And so now we pick it up in verse five, Matthew six, verse five. Excuse me. And when you pray... Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Again, prayer is a spectacle for some. It's something you do publicly. It's something that you do to show how holy you are. You need to know how great I am, so let me show you how great I pray, right? It's, it's this idea that holiness is an image that we project to others. You, you need to see how, how great, and, and the whole point is that's hypocritical, Truly I tell you, Jesus says, they have received their reward in full. Now, there are no answers to prayers like that. God doesn't, God doesn't respond to the prayers of the, of the hypocritical, of, of those who are trying to cast an image or, or, or project a, uh, an image. And then he goes on, verse 6, But when you pray, go into your room and close the door, <clears throat> and pray to your father who is unseen, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Well, I say all that, and we read the giving part just because, notice it's the same thing. It's like, it's not that public prayer is wrong, and it's not even that public giving is wrong, but the motive really matters, and, and so there is an appropriateness for public prayer. Obviously, we do that in our churches. We just uh, enjoyed that with uh, Jim leading us, and, and, and that's important, but not if it's just to show off, right? Not, not, not if it's just to make a spectacle. And so uh, there, there's a private part to prayer as well, a part that happens behind closed doors where no one sees, but the Father sees. Um, and that's what Jesus is highlighting here. When you pray, go to your room, close your door, and pray to the Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. 
Here comes another warning. And when you pray, don't keep on babbling like pagans. Okay? Why? Well, why are pagans babbling? Well, often worship um, of the foreign gods, worship in, in this case, we're in the first century, uh, first century worship of foreign gods in, let's say, Babylon, or let's say, Egypt, or let's say, uh, the whole Mesopotamian region, it often revolved around sort of rituals that would turn into chants. If you can kind of in your minds go all the way back to, you remember where Elijah confronts the prophets of Baal uh, up on Mount Carmel? And, and, and Elijah is, is sort of pro, pro, uh, probing them or, or prodding them to maybe you need to chant louder. Like, like how come your God Baal isn't responding? Remember they're supposed to send down fire from heaven and Baal's not responding. And so Elijah's kind of egging them on because it's based on chants and incantations. And if you kind of read the passage, it gets more and more intense for the Baal Worshippers. They're dancing, and it ultimately says that they're cutting themselves, and they're chanting, and they're screaming, and everything. And, and, and so prayer to the Father is nothing like pagan worship, which is really what, what God is getting at. And when you pray, don't keep babbling like the pagans. Babbling is kind of an interesting word, just because it's really the word onomatopoeia in English. It's a word that means what it sounds like. It's ba 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 right? It kind of goes on and on and on and on. And, 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 you know, and, and that's kind of what he's saying. That's not the reason. In other words, it's not a time to just, you know, I'm going to pray for seven minutes and I have three things to say and six minutes of filler, right? It, it's, it's not, that, that's pagan is what he's saying. For they, will, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them. So we've got quite a few don't be's so far, right? It's don't be a public spectacle and, and, and don't babble and, and, and don't try and draw attention to yourself and rather do it quietly in your, or, or not quietly, but, but, but pray to the Father in, in your own room with the door closed. It's not to make a show. Uh, verse 8, do not be like them for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This is going to be a little bit problematic when we start thinking about this next section on prayer. Um, We're coming to our Father with our prayer, and he already knows. And so at some point, we're going to have to wrestle with why on earth are we doing this, right? Because it's kind of like, I I got a list here for you, Lord, and and I'd just like you to, oh yeah, you, you know the list. Right? And, and so we've got to think through, Jesus, before he even explains prayer, reminds us with this very interesting reminder, do not be like them, that's the pagans, for your father knows what you need uh, before you ask him. So prayer is not about informing the father of things he's overlooked, right? It, it, that's not what it is, because he hasn't overlooked them. All right, and so then we get this, this is how you should pray. Primarily through church history, this particular verse, Matthew 6, verse 9, has been interpreted, this is what you should pray. That is, we tend to use what we call the Lord's Prayer, sometimes we even call it the Disciples' Prayer, as the words that we should say. Jesus isn't saying this is what you should pray, this is how you should pray. So this is meant to be a a model for us, I, I, I help to understand some structure. There is absolutely nothing wrong with quoting the Lord's Prayer. It's wonderful. It's great. Do it too much, and we could start drifting towards the babble, right? 
the, the idea that it's a magical thing. Everyone say it together, right? And then if we need it because we need more, let's do it three more times and so on. So it, it's not meant merely to be, these are the words to say, but this is how you should pray, Jesus says. So in the middle of a sermon, Jesus is, if you will, initiating or, or presenting for the first time for most people the kingdom of God and what that might be. And everything so far has been surprising. He's blessing those things which are traditionally not blessed. And, and he's speaking and, and interpreting the Old Testament law, the Mosaic law, in ways that were very, very unexpected. And, and so now we get to this section on prayer. It comes right after the section on giving. And then Jesus says these words. And these are the words I want us just to spend a little bit of time thinking about. I know they're familiar. I think it's just important we follow, you know, this This is how you should pray. And so we've got to figure out how the how works in light of, in light of these words. And so he begins, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I know it's familiar words. What would be very unfamiliar to a first century audience other than those who would have a Jewish background or tradition, would be to address a deity in such a personal way. Traditionally, in the religions of the world, gods are things you seek after and can't quite get to. Okay? If we were to convert to Islam today, we would begin to do the prayers of Islam Allah is always out of reach. That's how the prayers work. Allah is not personal. He's not our father. He's not our friend. He is a distant God who we try and get his attention by doing the right things. And and so just the fact that God wants to be approached as father is, if we know the passage, it's not surprising, but it is surprising. It's surprising that that's the way God wants us to think about him. Some people go, well, I didn't have a good father situation. Well, if you don't come from a good father, it's the father that you always imagined or wished you had, right? I mean, we can understand what a loving parent would would be, and even if we didn't have that particular experience growing up, we can picture what a loving father would be. And so God wants, as God of the, the universe, wants us to approach him on, if you will, family terms, on the, on the terms of our father, which, which encompasses, the word encompasses everything that fathers are and everything that fathers do. Fathers love their children, right? And, and so fathers are someone you go to who you know already loves you, right? So prayer isn't about trying to win back God because you just did something wrong right? That wouldn't be father. You don't have to win back your parent because you did something wrong. Parents love their children. And so he says, or uh, Jesus says, uh, we pray our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Well, I listened very carefully. Obviously, I knew we were going to be talking about this. And so I listened very carefully to uh, our prayer this morning. And we don't seem to pray about any kind of trouble going on in heaven, okay? We've got trouble in the Ukraine with the Russian invasion, the war there going, and we have families that, that have trouble. We have medical needs that we lift up to the Lord and, and, and different situations and cultural issues where things are going secular and we long for truth to reign and Christ to be revealed. Uh, uh, but what we don't have to go is, Lord, I know you're doing that expansion project in heaven and the East Wing is underfunded, right? And, and I say that because here's where there's trouble, and then prayer is about not looking here, right? It's, it's, it's about getting a different perspective. I'm reaching up out of the, can I call it mess? 
uh, up out of the trouble of our day, up out of the very things we want to pray about, and I'm now looking to someone above all, over all. If we think about who God is, God is not bound by time. So while tomorrow is blurry for us, although undoubtedly we have a plan for tomorrow, it's already clear to him, as is the next day, as was the previous day. He, he literally looks over all things. And so prayer is the beginning of this reorientation from, if I can say it this way, the trouble we're in or, or the trouble we're praying about to someone who's not in trouble. Things are well-structured in heaven. They're not underfunded. They're not under or over budget. Uh, uh, they're not short of a workforce or have too many. Uh, they, don't have, they don't wonder, will this be sustainable in eight years or in 38 years or whatever? Those kind of things don't exist in the eternal place where God dwells. And so prayer begins by recognizing God wants to relate to us. And if you need a mental image, picture Father. Picture a father loving his son. Picture a father loving his daughter. And so we go to God and we immediately go up out of where our requests lie, right? Here in, in, in this world, up to this perspective of one who is above all, one who is overall. And, and immediately when we think about that, Jesus adds the line, hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. Your name is, of course, uh, basically everything you do and your very reputation. And, and so uh, if you think about names in the Bible, just to kind of give a couple illustrations, you have Jacob in the Old Testament. If you remember, he always wanted to be the oldest. That was his big goal in life. He was a twin. And, you know, he missed by what, minutes, seconds, hours, if they were born right at midnight, I suppose he could have missed by a day if the, you know, if the timing worked right or whatever. But he, he spent his whole life, and Jacob means heel clutcher, and he was always a bit of a heel clutcher with Esau, trying to get the birthright and trying to get the blessing and, and so on. And one day he encounters the living God, and God says, you're no longer going to be a heel clutcher. And he renames him Israel. And Israel will become the name that we know that nation by. And Jacob moves to Israel, and Abram moves to Abraham, and 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 Saul starts his his work in the church by persecuting it and trying to destroy it. And eventually, he's going to go by not his Jewish name, but his Roman name, which is Paul. It's a radical transformation from one who persecuted the church to probably the best church planter we've ever seen. The 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 missionary, the 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 one who wrote thirteen letters in our New Testament. And so names are important so much so that when God radically changes someone, he changes their name. And and so God's name is to be hallowed. God's name is the reminder of who he is and what he's done. Who God is and what he's done. So when we pray, we begin by changing our perspective. We go from, oh my goodness, we need help here, let's pray, to that's where the help comes from. That's the one where there is no mess going on. That's the one who loves us and loves the one we pray for and, 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 and loves the situation and knows it. He's above all. He's over all. And so we're coming from a vantage point of we can't see the future. Lord, we need your help. We need your intervention. We, we, we need your love. We, we need your guidance. We need, your, we, we need all that. But as we're praying it, we're recognizing, and we know you can do it. We know where you, from where you sit, it's all clear already. It's all unfolding in your sight. And so prayer is this, this reorientation, if you will, pushing our problem down slightly 
as we lift ourselves up to the one we pray to. It's surprising because no world religion works like this. World religions are all about earning favor with your God and, and trying to get your God's attention and all that goes on with that. And this is just very, very different. We get to the second line here. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Well, as I mentioned, number one, that's really part of Matthew's goal. A a, a careful reading of the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, will show you that uh, there are three major times when Matthew records Jesus saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There are three major movements in Matthew. Matthew literally structures his gospel around this idea of the coming kingdom of Jesus. Furthermore, The Sermon on the Mount, which is what we're in the middle of right now, is a sermon to present the kingdom of God to people who, 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 first of all, look like they're unimportant. They're not. But but in the culture, they're considered nobodies from nowhere, and they don't matter, but they do. And and, and, and the, the, the Sermon on the Mount is this, I want you to get a vision of what God has planned for you rather than the Romans. Right? They're living under Roman rule, but, but God has a kingdom that looks very, very different than the Roman kingdom and, and the rights and the wrongs that, that, that are being done there. And so then in our prayer, we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. Your kingdom come. So we're praying for, if you will, this kingdom, this, this being described in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Sermon on the Mount, this being described in all of Matthew, part of uh, what Jesus is, is sort of initiating and inaugurating, part of, if you remember the trial of Jesus before Pilate, um, Pilate's like, well, you've got this title here, King of the Jews, I mean, are, are you? And Jesus says, well, my kingdom's not of this world. Like, I'm not a threat to... Pilate, I'm not a threat to Caesar. I'm not a threat to the Romans. I'm talking about a different kind of kingdom. I highly doubt Pilate had any idea what he was talking about, but Pilate knew Jesus wasn't a threat. He wasn't trying to overthrow the Romans. What he's overthrowing ultimately is evil and, and, and sin and, and initiating something far bigger than something that uh, the Roman Empire could have ever imagined. Your kingdom come, your will be done. This is the structure. Remember, this isn't necessarily what we have to pray, but this is to help us to know how we ought to pray. Your kingdom come. So what do we pray for in the Ukraine? I mean, I think we've all had to sort of ask that question. We pray for peace, right? We pray that if the Lord wills, it would stop right now. It would be over. Do we pray that the Russians run out of gas or bullets? Tanks get bogged down in the mud? Um, aircraft can't take off because low-lying fog? I mean, those are all things that can and do happen and have happened and so on and, and, and so on. But, but it's interesting. What's the big picture? Uh, uh, obviously, peace is a lot better than war. But that area of the world has struggled for a long, long time. If you know the history, the former Soviet Union in, in our memory and what was going on there, but, 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 but the Russian Empire before that and, and, and work your way back and you have many territories that have been exchanged hands multiple times and lots of governing 
challenges to, to, to say the least in countries that are independent for a period of time and then lose that to another country and so on. It, it's, a, it's a very complicated thing. Your kingdom come, your will be done. It's interesting that prayer doesn't present God with the answers. All right, Lord, I've got this figured out here. Here's what I'm looking for. Item one, point A, okay? No more gas, no more bullets, uh, no more jet fuel, okay? Point B, uh, total armistice and everything. It's not for us to figure out. Remember, we're in the midst of the trouble, and so we lift our eyes up, we look up, and now we pray, you know what? It's what you want that I'm praying for. Why? It's simple. Remember verse 8? He already knows. Before you ask, he already knows. Who are we praying for? Well, it doesn't take too long to figure out we're praying for ourselves. He knows. He knows what's going to happen. He knew what was going to happen before it ever happened in the Ukraine, in the war. But we've got to remember, hold it, we're not in control. We're not the ones who can solve the mess we got, and it's our sinfulness that creates the problems that we face, all of our sinfulness, right? And and, and so we look up, and now we go, your kingdom come, your will be done. Well, a simple definition for the kingdom is just read the book of Matthew, okay? You got the whole thing there, the kingdom of God. It's it's God's rule and God's way and so on. Um, And and so we we do have Christ bringing his kingdom, and yet we don't fully have it. That's where we get some of these odd phrases like now and not yet and and, and those kinds of things. But, but, But God is working, and yet not everything has been brought to bear. We see when we read the book of Revelation, there's more coming and there's ultimately going to be an end to sorrow and pain and suffering and ultimately death. And we go, not yet. It's not here yet. And, and so we pray, I don't know how we get from here, where we have needs that we bring before the Lord in prayer, to there, Revelation 21, when all things are made new. But he knows. And so that's what we pray for. We need your kingdom. We need your will. The will of God, the will of the Lord, is sometimes a, uh, a challenging thing. We think about opportunities in our own lives. Should we stay here or pursue that opportunity in you know, Wichita Falls? And, and then, well, what would be the Lord's will? We ask questions like that. Um, the Lord's will is very apparent in Scripture as he defines it, and it's defined a bunch of different ways in a bunch of different passages. We'll just kind of throw some out there to think about. If you think about Micah 6, 8, you know, he has shown you, O oh man, what the Lord desires of you and to act justly and love mercy and walk humbly with your God, the Lord's will, right? The Lord's will is about how we live, whether we live here or in Wichita Falls, he gives us opportunities to pursue things, and we can certainly pray, pray for his guidance as to should we take this opportunity, should we move our family, should, should we pursue this, is this money investment wise or unwise, and all sorts of different things. Nothing wrong with those things, but his will is how we live, to live Christianly, rightly, lovingly, to know the Lord and to make the Lord known. His, his will is very knowable. And so the question is, how about your will? 
How about your kingdom as the solution to where we come from? Your kingdom, your will. There's more to talk about. Um, but ultimately, your will on earth as it is in heaven. That's, again, one of those references to the fact that in heaven, the Lord goes, man, I wish those angels would listen. I said six times, do you mind a little more glory from the left, right? It, it doesn't work that way. In heaven, the Lord speaks, and it is so. As a matter of fact, we get a glimpse of that in Genesis 1, right? He speaks, and it's so. It's exactly as he said it. Let there be light. And it wasn't first dim, right? It was light. It, was, it came in at 100%, whatever the right wattage and voltage or whatever, that's what it was. It, it, it was, he speaks, and it is so. And so when we talk about prayer, we're really talking about, well, hold it. It's really less of me and more of, uh, yeah, more of him, more of what he already knows that I can't see. I don't know how the crisis ends. It will end some way and somehow, but I don't know. And he does. And so prayer is, is this, I'll just say it, prayer is an act of submission. To pray for something is basically to say it is completely, I either go fix it, or pray for it, right? It's, the prayer is the admission, I, I can't fix it. It's, it's bigger than me. It's more than me. We need you. We don't need you to follow my will. I need to start following your will, your desires, your kingdom is what's being talked about. <clears throat> one, of the <clears throat> excuse me, one of the challenges of the Lord's Prayer is that we tend to take it and separate the pieces, especially when we get to this next, next passage. Give us enough for today. Give us today our daily bread. It, it's kind of cool. This word daily, if you look at English translations, I'm reading the NIV. You, you might have another translation in front of you. But there's a lot of struggle about how to translate that, that word um, that in this Bible is translated as daily bread. And the reason there's a lot of trouble with that word is this is the only place in Scripture where this word appears. There's no other verse that this appears in other than this particular location and the re repetition of the Lord's Prayer in Luke chapter 11. It's the same prayer, the same word. Um, and, and so the word is the idea of enough for today. There are some scholars who actually say it's really enough for tomorrow. So if you, if you want to think tomorrow in there, it's basically the idea of we need enough to carry on, that our provision, our minimum requirements come from the Lord, and that's what we need. And sometimes we isolate that, but don't isolate that, because it goes directly with the previous verse, to do your will. Will, Lord, you give us enough for the day? to do your kingdom work, your will, from the previous verse. We ask because now we have a plan. It's going to be his kingdom. It's going to be his work. Now we need you to sustain me because I'm going to be doing your work and your will. I'm going to be doing what you have called me to do. Sometimes we want, well, we just want enough for today so we can do whatever we want. It's not how the prayer works. It's not how it's structured. Every piece fits together. The one who is above all, the Father, who the one who is overall has a plan, has a will, has a kingdom. And, and so we're submitting our particular asks to one who is above all, who's overall and who already has a plan. Now we think about our needs. <clears throat> what do we have? Why do we need our needs met? Because we need to be about his kingdom and his will. Does that make sense? It, it, it's meant to fit together rather than to pull it apart. And, and so we pray for the sustenance. 
it's hard because for most of us, <clears throat> we already have it, right? I mean, probably already have enough food for tomorrow. Now, we might go to the grocery store because we're running out of this. We want to add that. But we have enough, right? Or for the next day or 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 the next day. It's interesting. The Lord's Prayer is all in plural. It's not give me enough for my day. It's give us enough. It's all plural. The whole thing is plural. Not just one line. The whole thing is plural. It's more of a corporate prayer. God's providing for all of us enough for all of us. Oh yeah, but I already got extra. I don't need to pray. No, maybe you don't need to pray like that. Maybe the prayer is, I already got enough for today. How can I help meet the needs of those who don't? Right? It's it's this plural idea of we all need to be in the business of doing God's will, of seeking his kingdom, right? Jesus will say a little earlier on, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. There's that kingdom language again, and all these things will be added to you. And so the idea of asking for provision is to ultimately, I need the provision for today. I need enough for right now so that I can do your will, that I can serve you. And then there's troubles, right? We, we get to verse 12. <clears throat> and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. If we read it in Luke 11, it'll say, forgive us our sins. Uh, and, and so the idea of debt is really the idea of spiritual debt. Excuse me. Uh, the idea of spiritual debt, we're indebted to God. And so it is a way of talking about our sin. And here's the thing. We're really not equipped if the Lord gives us enough physical provisions for the day. We have enough to eat. We have a place to sleep. We have clothes to wear. The, 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 if, if we have enough, and yet we're full of sin, it's really hard to be sort of doing the Lord's work if we're not made right before him, if that makes sense. And, and so we see this model, forgive us, Lord, the way we forgive others. Forgive us the way we forgive others. It immediately puts us in the onus of having to be forgiving like God is forgiving. Can you see that prayer, the way it's structured again, Jesus is saying this is how we should pray. Prayer is always this rearrangement of our thoughts and our attitudes and our actions from ourselves something immediately in front of us to something eternal, to the one true God. And so we would like to be forgiven, which means we also must be forgiving, right? So far, not an easy prayer. I mean, I mean, e- easy to quote, e- easy to say, but, but if you think about w- w- what he's asking, it's a, it's a prayer of surrender. I mean, it's so much easier to say, Lord, I'm going to take care of it. Thanks for giving me hands and feet. Amen, Right? But that's actually not what prayer is, right? Praise the Lord for hands and feet. Praise the Lord for our health. What is our health for? What are our hands and feet for? Well, according to prayer, it's to do his will, to do his work. That's what he enables us to do. And we see that. We, we see that all over. In Marathon, people caring for people. As Jim prayed a little earlier. It's, it, it's, it's people looking after people and helping to meet needs. And someone, things are hard there. And so others come around. And then later, it, it might be over here. And, and others come there. And, 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 and that is why he sustains us for his work. Asks us to, we ask him to forgive us, to make us clean. 
even as we forgive others. Which is interesting, because sometimes we would like to be forgiven, but not necessarily to be forgiving. And so it's part of the prayer, part of what's built in. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Well, the way that's worded in English, that's always hard because it's kind of like, well, he's not really going to lead us into temptation, is he? I mean, James 1 says that very, very clearly the Lord does not tempt anyone, right? But we are dragged away and enticed by our own evil desires. Uh, we don't need any help getting to temptation, do we? That, that's, that's the easy part. Um, and, and so uh, it, it's really this lead us not as the idea is keep us from, because it's exactly where we tend to end up, right? Tempted by whatever the things are that tempt us. Um, if you remember Jesus in the garden with his disciples, I'll quote here from Mark 14, uh, he tells his disciples in the garden of Gethsemane uh, after the last supper, watch and pray so that you won't fall into temptation, part of what prayer does why how how does that work you're tempted by this thing over here to spend money where you shouldn't spend it or 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 to 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 pursue something that you shouldn't pursue or 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 to have selfish thoughts or or to 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 whatever it might be and prayer is this reorientation of your mind right it's literally looking up to our father in heaven who's over us and then and then kind of realizing that it's that it's really his kingdom and his will that we're working for. It's the reminder that we're not the leader, we're the, we're the follower. We're not the employee, employer, we're the employee. We work for him. He enables us, provision for the day, for us to do his will. Lead us not into temptation, which is what he prays for with his disciples. Again, Mark fourteen thirty eight. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. What do you do with weak flesh? You pray, right? Weak flesh, the, 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 the solution is to pray, which is the reorientation of our minds and our hearts and our attitudes away from ourselves to God's will, God's plan, God's purpose, God's program. That, that's the idea um, behind that. Deliver us from the evil one. Because that would stop us from doing the will of God. You, you follow? Do you see how it all... It's just really kind of one thing. It's here. It's like, hey, we're all workers in the kingdom. Here's the way to keep yourself working in the kingdom. W- what's the way? Prayer. Well, what do you mean? Well, it's prayer is this reorientation from when we get sidetracked with ourselves and our own situations and our own circumstances and all that, and it reorient, reorients us back to sort of the eternal circumstance, that God is on his throne and that we can trust him. He, we have a loving relationship with him, that he loves us as our father, and that we then have the opportunity or the privilege of serving him. I don't know what uh, your Bible says and what versions, but when we say the Lord's Prayer, we always have this ending. And if you're looking in Matthew, you'll notice that ending that we usually say isn't there. Or maybe it's in parentheses in your Bible, or maybe it's in a footnote. We generally say, for thine is the kingdom, right? For the power and the glory forever and ever, all men. And, and it doesn't seem to be back in the oldest copies of Matthew's gospel. But if you ever wonder where that's probably coming from, that probably got written in by 
a scribe who was reading God's word, reading this prayer, and got excited and, 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 and said, this is amazing, and, and kind of finished it off. And what he probably did was he grabbed it from a prayer that David prayed with Solomon just before David was to pass away. First Chronicles 29, just let me read you the prayer. First Chronicles 29, 11 to 13, yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom and you are exalted as head over it. Uh, wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. This is David praying. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. You know what that kind of was? That's the Lord's Prayer. You see what he's doing? It's not about me, King David, and great how how great I was. It's you're the one who's great. It's this reorientation. It's the submission of of the clay to the potter, of the creation to the creator, right? And that's how prayer works. Jesus ends this portion of uh, the Sermon on the Mount with this, verse 14. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. We kind of saw that in the prayer. But if you don't forgive others for their sin, your Father won't forgive your sins. This is how you should pray. Pray is, prayer is always the reorientation of our current circumstances to look up to the one who is over them. Not that our circumstances don't matter. They do. Not that they're not difficult. They can be. They are. But, but that a loving father has the bigger plan that we submit to, that we, that, that we give way to. One final thing in closing, and that's that why are we doing this if he already knows? Do you see Why? It's because we need to know. When you pray to a spiritual being, we don't get to see him. Like if we could get a vision of him, if we could kind of see him and look up and, and, and get that, that would be one thing, but we don't get that. We, we just pray. It's a physical sign, our prayer, of a spiritual reality of the love that he has for us. In fact, everything that we do, that we are asked to do as believers in God's word, is a physical sign of a spiritual reality. We um, take this bread and we do it in remembrance of our Savior. And other people just eat bread. It's a physical sign of a spiritual reality of what Christ has done for us. We take this cup, this drink, this wine, this grape juice, and remember Christ's blood, and other people just drink wine, right? We baptize, and we literally take people and we stick them in the water, and other people, they just get wet, Right? But baptism is a physical sign of a spiritual reality. Prayer is a physical sign. We close our eyes, we fold our hands, we pray to the Father in heaven, who already knows everything we're ever going to ask or say or do, but he already knows it, but we need to do it. It's a physical sign of a spiritual reality. We are submitting to our Father and signing up to be continuer, continually doing his will. And so prayer in Jesus' presentation here in the Sermon on the Mount and in the Gospel of Matthew is the initiation of the kingdom. It's how we get more of God and less of the crises of the world. It's the way that we change our mindset from, like if we just want to make a list of what we should worry about, 
we could come with a long list, right? And we could come with a lot of things that we could be worried about. And yet prayer is submission to that, to him. Father, we are grateful that you allow us such easy access to your love that we can simply call on you above all and over all. And so we take this time to submit ourselves to your kingdom and our desires to your will. We ask that you would sustain us so that we could be doers of your word, keepers of your will, that we could be a testimony amongst the nations. Father, we're mindful that there's one thing that breaks that testimony, and that's our sin. And so we ask that you would forgive and that we would forgive. Your forgiveness is great of what we need, and our forgiveness is minor in comparison. But help us to be forgiving people, not prone to wander, but ultimately delivered from evil. For, Father, you are deserving of all the praise and all the glory. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, have a wonderful week. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.